0: We start with Scripture. Um, First from a psalm. Um, Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to thy steadfast love. According to thy abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. And my sin is ever before me. Against thee, only thee have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, so that thou art justified in thy sentence and blameless in thy judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And then from the first chapter of the Gospel of John In the beginning was the Word. Gracious God, open us this morning in heart, mind, soul, and spirit to receive your word. We teach as we preach, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redemption. Amen. Well, I'm going to set you up right away. Sermon today is on a really hard passage. It's the parable of uh, the laborers in the vineyard. And it's just hard. It, it seems to go against everything that we hold dear. Um, today in class, we're going to challenge some assumptions as well. Um, as, I, as I continue to, to share with you, you know, the, the unfolding events of my season of sabbatical, I think most of you are aware that I spent time in Scotland quite intentionally um, looking into, investigating, playing with, praying over um, what has become known, anyway, as Celtic theology. It, um, it isn't as if it's a set-aside theology. It's not like we're just setting everything Christian off over here and now we're going to Celtic. Celtic theology Um, we might look at in the same way um, as we might look at liberation theology. It is a certain understanding of Scripture born out of the idea that um, this is another way to look at things faithfully um, and intelligently. Some of it seems to fit in wonderfully for us. Some of it doesn't. Other parts of it really challenges us. And today we're I suspect, really going to, to be challenged in some, some ways. So, we'll get right to it. Those of you who are um, up on your theology know that Pelagius is the bad boy of theology. Uh, Pelagianism, uh, which was um, declared, declared more or less a default theology, um, Pretty much into the fifth century, um, is really born out of most would say a misunderstanding of Pelagius, um, of what he was actually trying to say. The, the Celts certainly believe this. So um, much of what Celtic theology uh, presents as possibility for us uh, is born out of his thinking and his writing and his teachings. And so, what we talk about today is, like the sermon, going to challenge us in terms of what we may hold dear, theologically. And all we can do is, um, in a healthy way, I mean, play with it. We can consider it. Um, We can judge for ourselves whether it is worthy or unworthy, whether it is scriptural or unscriptural, Uh, whether it's helpful or not to our spiritual journeys. Um, The amazing thing is, it seems to me, is this, that although he was uh, labeled a heretic sometime after his death, um, most of what he says and offers, most of us will find Kind of mainstream. In other words, today may not challenge you at all. And it should. Okay? Um, most notably, he argues against original sin. He argues against the idea that um, your sinfulness comes from your very birth. That um, somehow or another the act of um, how does one put this? The sexual act of intercourse does not transmit something the Roman Catholic Church understands as original sin which we ourselves understand as well. So that's his, that's his big sin right off the bat. His sin is that he doesn't uphold original sin. Why he doesn't is one of the things we'll, we'll discuss today. Um, a, a, quick, a quick history. He was born in what we would know today as the United Kingdom, which is still, mind you, the United Kingdom. Um, probably Ireland, probably around um, 340 to f- 360. He died in 420. 4- 10 to 420, depending on what you read and and what papers you're looking at. Um, He went to Rome. He was a a, a mystic in Ireland um, of the Christian traditions. And in the 380s, he traveled to Rome to study and to preach. And um, his theme, you might say, is that faith is wrapped up in Um, Wisdom and humility. So you must seek wisdom. You must seek understanding of the scripture. Uh, And you must remain humble. And he lived a very ascetic life, very simple, um, at least as far as we know, because you'll you'll find out here quickly that probably around 395, he was banished from Rome. Um, His early themes... Um, revolve around the idea that each person needs a soul friend, not a soul mate. Uh, He never married as far as we know. But you need a soul friend. You need somebody with whom you can talk honestly, completely, and totally about yourself. Because that's the only way to get wisdom. You must present yourself before God bare. And you needed to have not necessarily a confessor, not necessarily a priest, because he doesn't have a high uh, ecclesiology. He doesn't have a real sense of what the church should be. But you need somebody who will, who will hear you bear yourself out. Self-honesty for him is critical in the Christian journey. If you can't be honest, then you can't understand your shortcomings. If you can't understand your shortcomings, you cannot really move to be uh, an and imitation of Christ. So uh, you need the soul friend. Today we would call them spiritual directors, Um, those who who help us in our spiritual formation. Um, The other thing he believes and is is very evident throughout the Celtic culture, even today, um, is that God is present in all creation. Um, if we're looking at a pendulum, okay, John Calvin over here says, um, you can see God in creation, but you cannot get the salvation message out of it. It cannot bring you redemption. You have to know about Jesus. Um, and if you have over here this notion that you don't really need Jesus at all, that you can just look in creation and see that there's a God, it's evident enough to everybody. Well, Plygius is somewhere, literally on my left of of kind of holding those those two things in tension. He believes you can see more in God than John Calvin would would admit. Just simply leave it at that. Um, In a letter he wrote to a a new convert, he wrote, you will realize that doctrines are inventions of the human mind as it tries to penetrate the mystery of God. Thus, it is not what... It is not what you believe that matters. It is how you respond with your heart and actions. It is not believing in Jesus that matters. It is becoming like him. So, right off the bat, you get a sense that he's going to challenge what it is to be a Christian. Um, and he would say, I suspect, and I may be putting words in his mouth, but, um, you know, Clinton is, for, is famous for saying it depends what the meaning of is is. Well, he would, he would say it depends on what the meaning of believe is. What does Scripture mean when it says you, you must believe in Jesus Christ? And he would challenge us by saying, does that mean you are to believe a doctrine Or does it mean that you are to trust him and imitate him? Imitation, of course, being the highest form of flattery. Um, Imitation being that which you truly value. Um, So although it, it sounds heretical to us, I think we also understand that there is an element of truth in what he's saying. That it's one thing to have this belief up in your head, Um, and yet still go out living life the same old way. Um, You can do that. But the gospel, he would say, presents a bigger challenge. And that is not so much to have a pitch-perfect doctrine as to follow Christ, to become Christ-like in your living, to conform your life to the life that we see lived out in the life of Christ. Um, We live in an either-or world, you and I. And again, I'll put words in his mouth. I, I'm I'm comfortable to say that he would probably say, maybe it's not an either-or, maybe it's a both. Um, doctrine is not unimportant by any means. Um, but it's not the end all either. If it's not going to change your life, if it's just the insurance policy, as we say, just the insurance policy. I believe this, so I'm going to the big house. That wasn't even planned. Oh, I bet it, was. it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, he is accused of, of teaching that we can perfectly become like Christ. That was, that was one of his big sins, is that as if the challenge for us is to become Christ-like, then is he also saying at the same time we can actually do it? Um, Scholars and historians now understand that the charge is one made by his enemies. The interesting thing about Pelagius is that soon enough we may know, because a whole big stash of his papers had been found, and they're still in Latin, and who knows when they're going to get translated, but we have something to start working off of. So he's either going to be further vilified or lifted up as a saint, or either or by some or the other. So we'll see. Um, he did write very often in the writings that we already have that this imitation of Christ, this, this trying to live like Christ lived is <laughs> really, really hard. It's difficult. And you fail again and again and again. Um, two other remaining areas of criticism. Um, he taught women he taught women to read the scripture um and his conviction that in the newborn child the image of god can be seen okay and you that takes us back to our earlier the earlier thought when when do when are we imbued with evil or sin our sinful nature are we at birth or does it become something like Ebola, something that starts here but really begins to grow and um, manifest itself, take over in time? Okay, the first one, teaching women to read the scriptures. Um, Women, you're going to like this. He was one of the first to say that if, in fact, God's image is in everybody, that means the image of God is very much alive in women, too. So now we know why he's a heretic. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so if, if one of the ways of the faith is through wisdom, then you have to teach all people. W- women have to be part of the circle if the goal is for them to know Christ and follow Christ and become Christ-like. Um, it also is probably a, um, a holdout from his childhood because, again, in the Celtic culture, um, women and animals, I don't mean to put those in the same sentence, <laughs> women um, are highly venerated as is the natural kingdom. Uh, because God is everywhere. God is in all creation. God is in everything created. So, um, one could also see that he's bringing some of his culture from, from Ireland and, and what we call the United Kingdom today, which is still an item highly revered in, in their community ethos. Um, he's bringing that to Rome with him. And he can see it in Scripture. So he can preach it and proclaim it. Um, One of the problems historians suggest that Pelagius has is that the women are flocking to him. And Augustine does not like that at all. Um, Augustine, with whom he is a contemporary, um, does not like any of this. Augustine will be his number one pain in the butt uh, for the rest of his life. Uh, Conviction that the newborn child is the image of God, um, as the image of God uh, is to be seen. Um, And he just makes this, he, he just cannot see this idea of natural sin or original sin. He does not think it is biblical. He can't find it in the scripture anywhere. Um, And what he does see is this good, um, short of perfect, of course, creation, that will nevertheless go down this road into sin. Um, Where Augustine... um, Augustine lived in the nitty-gritty of Rome, and he could see uh, the harshness of life all around him. He was, he was for all intents and purposes, raised there. Um, and so he couldn't see any good born out of anything. Um, and so, also in line with with kind of what would later, we would label puritanical notions, um, Augustine begins to understand sexuality as a bad thing, um, as, as a, for lack of a better word, part of the evil, even though we are commanded to do it for the purposes of, of population. Um, oh, here I put it better. Uh, he believes that, that from conception and birth we lack the image of God until it is restored in the sacrament of baptism. Which means, of course, you have to have a priesthood and you have to have a church. Um, and that conception I don't know where all these capital letters are coming from and that conception involves us in the, the sinfulness of nature, sexual intercourse, being associated with lustful desires, um, not so much love, but desires. Um, for me, th- this um, Augustine is kind of like one of my heroes. Um, and so for me this is a place where, where um, Pelagius really challenges me um, and I said this I think my first week that one of, one of my issues is going to be or is um, what is sin and, and what's its nature um, from whence does it come um, he's going to challenge us on, on that that is Pelagius not Augustine um, is this just more of the same thing? Um, it is ultimately the, the emphasis of Pelagius that will will win the day in Celtic theology. Um, if, if you go and spend time in Celtic cultures and communities, um, even in the place where Orthodox Christianity lives. You still see and sense vestiges um, in the idea that 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 women are equal,
1: that they are
0: they are the image of God, just as man is the image of God, and that children are revered as um, something very pure. Okay. Um, I think it's important for us to know that just simply because Pelagius suggested that um, we are not born into original sin, it doesn't mean he denies the existence of sin by any way, shape, or form. On the contrary, like Augustine, he sees it. And one of his big worries is that um, we go through life and our sin buries deeper and deeper within us the seed of God that is there. The image that is of God that is in us is buried deeper and deeper as we go through life, and it becomes harder and harder to then dig back and, um, and allow that image of God in you to begin to live again. Um, what we may consider the transformation. Uh, It becomes harder and harder as sin takes over more and more of who we are. Um, So the practice makes us perfect. The more we practice sin, the better we get at it, the deeper the image of God is buried within us, and the harder it is, therefore, to get to it. Um, So redemption... And this, this gets a little dry, I guess, but redemption can be understood in terms of setting free that image of God that's in us. That the, the cross for Pelagius is, um, is redemptive in that it shows God's desire and power to reclaim us and resurrect us from the actions of a sinful world. Uh, and rebirth us into a resurrected life of Christ-likeness. That we don't have to get into terribly right now. Like I said, this is the first thing on Celtic theology. I don't know when the second one will be. Um, So, redemption can be understood in terms of a setting free, a releasing of what we essentially are. Um, Our goodness is sometimes so deeply buried as to be lost Or erased, but it is there. Seems erased. That should say, or seemed erased, but it is there. I want to get into discussion, which is I'm I'm moving through this. Um, His downfall uh, revolves around Augustine. At some point, when 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 Pelagius first arrived in Rome, praises were sung high and low of his theology. Um, but depending on your point of view, as people got to really know him, or as people became jealous of him, <laughs> things began to change. And at one point, Augustine, and it has, it has basically to do with the notions of original sin. At one point, Augustine calls uh, the bishops together in Rome to have a council about him, about Pelagius at the end of the first council, Pelagius is found innocent of any heresy. Um, Augustine calls a second council, and again he's found innocent. Augustine then takes him to the Pope, and the Pope finds him innocent of any heresy. Um, So Augustine decides his only recourse is to go to the state. And he is charged by the state with disturbing the peace uh, and thus is banished from Rome. Soon upon this happening, of course, the pope changes his mind and then agrees with the state. Um, there is an interesting, I think, caricature to be driven, to be, to be drawn here uh, historically. Um, if we remember that that Christ was not put on the cross for religious reasons, he was put on the cross for political reasons. Um, he was an offense to Caesar. Um, and and to see the, you can see, see the same thing unfolding here is kind of ironic, so to speak. Um, that's the end of what I'm going to say about. Pelagius. The rest is discussion, so I hope you have something to say on this. Um, as I said, throughout the ages in the world of orthodoxy, Pelagius is, um, is heretical. And yet, if I were to take a poll here today and ask you about the image of children, if I were to ask you about what you really felt about original sin, um, I bet there'd be some interesting confessions. Which is okay because we have some crosses put up in the parking lot, <laughs> and <laughs> we can take care of any heretics here. Um, and again, for me, the the thing that fascinates me about the Celtic understanding or what the Celtic understanding adds to or challenges orthodoxy um, with isn't to assume that everything Celtic is right and everything orthodox is wrong, of course not. Um, It's just that I find some of these things challenging (coughs) and even beautiful in some of their own right. And so they're forcing me to go back and think again. Which I'm sure Pelagius would love because wisdom's where it's at for him. To truly understand yourself um, is the only way in which you can really approach God, honestly. And then and only then can God rebirth the image within you of the divine self. Um, One last note, and that's this. Um, Pelagius does not assume that this is something you do on your own, that the Holy Spirit does have a role in this, um, that God uses other people to to challenge you and um, to well up within you a desire to reclaim the image of God that is in you uh, and to move you forward into... Uh, that life which continues the reclamation, um, the soul friend that we talked about earlier. Now, if we're going to look at the two theologies, if we're going to consider briefly um, Augustine and Pelagius, I, I simply went to some scripture passages that I, I think would lend to discussion. Um, Pelagius is much, it's really evident if you, if you read him, he's much more comfortable with the Gospel of John than he is with the Gospel of Matthew. And of course, Augustine is much more comfortable with Matthew than he is with John. Um, so Pelagius is going to say, you know, the image of God is born in all of us. He's going to go to uh, the story of creation. In God's image, we were created. Um, God is the light. The light is within us, and nothing can overcome that light. It's in us. Nothing can overcome it. It can be dimmed. It can be um, diminished. It can be hidden, but it cannot be extinguished. Um, Augustine is going to say, no, Um, the image of God is not in you in that sense. What you need is to be baptized. And to be fair to Augustine, to talk about baptism, it, it, we're, we're not thinking like all the stereotypes you and I have of Catholics, you know, unfair and as they are. Um, to be baptized is, in his book is to, to have the understanding that the community will um, introduce you uh, via the power of the Holy Spirit into a life of faith, and you will grow into it, but you will never overcome, obviously, your sin. It will always be part of you. They both actually believe that. So, Pelagius is going to be real comfortable within the beginning was the word. Um, what has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people, shines in all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness is not overcome by it. Um, raises interesting questions about kind of universalism. Is everybody saved then? If the light is in there somewhere, how gracious is God? Augustine, uh, perhaps the 51st Psalm was a thing that came to my mind immediately and I went with it. Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner when my mother conceived me. You desire truth in the inward being. In other words, you demand something different inwardly. Uh, therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Um, those two seem to be the, the themes of the various players here. Now, my question to you is how does this sit? Um, I'm convinced of, of one thing and that is that Scripture has many purposes. Uh, one is to teach, and it is to teach our mind and our, our reason. I have another belief that the Scripture is intent on forming our soul and our spirit, and its purpose is to um, have us enter into it and change who we are. Um, It seems to me, and this is greatly exaggerated, that, um, no, I can't even say that. I take that back. (laughs) At At first blush, what does this do to you? What questions does it raise? Yeah, Jerry. Yeah. yeah, I think he would say that too. He, he, he looks around him and he sees and he grieves the fact that so, much, so many of those around him just seem to be going in the wrong direction. And therefore, the image of God is just getting buried deeper and deeper and deeper in them instead of being regenerated and growing within them. It is an individual thing. It almost has to be with him. (coughs) Yeah. uh, uh, On the what? I don't, yeah. I don't know that I've read anything about where he would stand on it. I don't know that um, it would be any different than anyone else. Um In other words, I would suspect that as, as one who is, is seeking, you know, and I, and I take, and I'm going to assume here, people at face value. Okay? Best of intentions here. Augustine had the best of intentions. He wasn't really jealous that Pelagius was getting all the women. It really was a theological issue for Augustine. It really wasn't a theological issue for Pelagius. My assumption um, is that he understood Scripture was valuable in, in that it helped, it, it was the vehicle through which one is transformed. Now, we have also said, however, that he could see God, and the role of God in nature also has a role in making us aware of God's existence. Now, to what degree, we don't know. But I would also suggest this, you know, I don't think anybody in this room has seen a particular sunset or a childbirth or something and wouldn't say, I just saw the face of God. It doesn't mean that 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 is the beginning and end all of revelation. On the contrary, Calvin's really clear. It can't get you to salvation. But does that therefore make it worthless? I don't know. But I have no reason to assume his understanding of scripture was any less than anyone else's. I can check that out.
2: Yeah. So there's, there's a limited knowledge now at this point in genetics and science. And there's obviously no experience that a newborn has had because it's still the womb. So we're passing this on at the time of conception. And then we're relating it to original sin. And I, have a tru- I have trouble bridging someone else's past say the garden, was originally mm-hmm. to the womb of a mother without, and then the concept that sin would be tied to genetics or DNA. I'm, I'm, I'm really struggling. You're a scientist. Well, well I, I'm yeah. here in the world now, I'm in the world now, and that's my experience, and I, I'm trying to link how they believe this passage occurred. Is it just a supernatural, conceptual, boom, you got it, when you got it part of your mom and dad, but they didn't know? Or was there something beyond? Because that seems to be an issue for
0: me. Um, the early church understanding of it, if I'm remembering correctly, it is one of mystery. In other words, the hows weren't terribly important. How it happened was not important. For Augustine, the scripture bore witness to the fact that this was the way it is. For Pelagius, scripture bore a different witness. And the fight's gone on through the through the generations, yeah. Do you say this was your son? Nephew, Nephew thank goodness.
2: He he has five children, he doesn't say that anymore.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love that 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. Greg. <laughs> yeah. one morning. Okay, is this like is this like a rabbi and a priest and a minister going to a bar. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah.
2: This is a few months old.
0: Is the Presbyterian church?
1: <laughs> Why do you use water? yeah
0: the point he's making is water does what symbolically yeah symbolically, we use water to to wash away the sin um, yeah, absolutely. Why would you do a carnation symbolizing um, ultimate purity? That's a good question. One of many. You going to straighten me out on my Catholicism? Okay. I'm sure I could use it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs>
1: uh-huh.
0: That's a good question. Um, and to be really honest, I don't know the answer. I don't know what he would say. Except he's very clear there is evil in the world. Well, how about free will? He's oh, he's big on free will. He is huge on free will. So we can create bad things even though we were born clean. Oh, yeah. Which means we
1: bring upon ourselves this thing.
0: This is, yeah, yeah. But is that exclusive of... Um, of a personified evil, of Satan or of a devil. I don't, you know. I would make the same argument that I think some evil in the world is very clearly from some power beyond myself. I'm also very clear that some of the evil in the world is my own making. Well, but, you're you know. Yeah. You're not. Yeah. You yeah. May it all, you just it you but you do. have a choice, yeah. And the more choices you make, again, he was he's going to say, the more choices you make towards the evil, the more comfortable you become with it. And the deeper you bury the original image of God, which was born in you, you knew at birth. Yeah. You know? Okay, Kent. Um, what
1: was obviously said happened to the child's soul if he
0: died before baptism? <laughs> yep. Bye-bye, Bertie. And, and that is a pervasive thought, even, you know, things bleed into one another. I, I was, um, about my third year of ministry in Traverse City, and we had a mother, it was Sunday morning, and we had a mother giving birth to twins. Um, and they were, and this is, this is like 10 o'clock in the morning. And I get a call, or actually Homer gets the call, and he says, you know, neither of these babies are going to live and the parents want you to come baptize these children right now. These are Presbyterians, born and raised Presbyterians. Um, and of course, Homer had to preach a sermon, so I have to, I have to grab my baptism on a run kit and, and go do this. And, and the question becomes, okay, is this the time for a theological debate? Not hardly. But yeah, Jim's right. Um, the understanding, and and we have that in us somewhere. We have all kinds of things in us that we would never verbally say we believe, (laughs) but when push comes to shove, we sometimes really feel the need to act on some of these things. It's really a bizarre thing about us. Somebody else had their hand it up. Oh, yeah, and then... Okay, to to some, oh boy that, that elicited some response, <laughs> didn't it? To some degree, I'm going to agree with you that we are easily um, we are easily distracted critters. That's really true. But where my first thought go, my first thoughts go is to the cross. Okay, so what is the purpose of the cross? Yeah, pardon?
1: That's the message. That's exactly the All right. Message.
0: But what is the message of the cross?
1: That we are saved, notwithstanding our sin. And now you can go and say, sin nature? And when, <laughs> it gets it, when it gets it. I don't care when it started. All I know okay. is Okay. And maybe that's
0: the naive religion, but it serves me well. And it may, be, it may be much too big of a discussion to get into today, but it is going to have ramifications on evangelism. What does it mean to, to go out and share the gospel? What's the purpose of it? Um, what's the end game, so to speak? Um, and it's also going to speak to the the purposes of the sacraments, so it, it's, it's I, I see what you're saying, that it's easy to get muddled, on the other hand it does raise very serious issues about you know, how we practice our faith, what's important in practicing the faith and that is a huge discussion folks, I mean it is it's, it's theology from A to Z is what it is, but nevertheless, okay, Jerry had his hand up and then we'll come, because there have been other hands up God save your soul. I take
1: back what I just said. <laughs>
0: And the whole issue is what is baptism then, too? I mean, what what's yeah? You know, we we'll go to that. Okay, one and then two. All right.
2: Corollary to what the judge would say. Okay.
0: Do we in the church
2: get too hung up on
0: rules on the wall? Not law? Really. Yeah. I, I, there are certain times I would say absolutely, but I don't think that this is unimportant, folks. I think it's very important. It it may not be. It may be clear as mud. But they're important issues. Okay, one and then two and then three. Okay. Yes, thank you for the lesson. I agree with that wherever you make
1: Okay.
0: Okay. As long as, as long as we don't get stuck back in the other ancient heresy, that being salvation by, by works, in other words, and that's slippery, slippery slope stuff. Slippery slope stuff. Okay.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, the other understanding of of original sin revolves around the idea that um, as Adam and Eve witnessed, we tend to w- separate ourselves from God. God says one thing, we just tend to do the other. And when we do the other, we have to go hide. So we separate ourselves. You know, we have to make fig leaves and, and all that. We, so the understanding that sin, the real genesis of sin, isn't some genetic thing in us passed on in that sense, but that it is um, it is separation from God. It is our desire to be our own self, really, and not a child of God. But I, I, I function under... Uh, my own authority um, under my own power and, you know, I'm going to do what I want to do as opposed to what God wants me to do. Um, If I'm going to trust my gut on this, I'm going to say Pelagius is much more comfortable with that thought than he is with obviously Augustine's nature or understanding as original sin, something that which is just who we are, and completely eradicates the image of God within us. Very, but or or it represented that voice within us that caused us to be on our own. I mean, it's how uh, the the problem with scripture <laughs> is that so much of it is story; it's narrative. And yes, there is history there, and there is there is, and, and Paul is a brilliant um, draktoneer, but so much of Scripture is narrative; it's story, and story doesn't always lend itself to easy conclusions. And so, what is the devil? Everybody says the snake. Is the snake the devil? Is it Satan? Is it you and me and our consciousness? And I mean. Uh. All right, somebody else? Yes. And no, wait a minute, wait a minute. Was there was somebody else. Was there somebody else? Yeah, it was you, and then you.
2: Do, can Again. We, can we put Paul in between these two extremes and remember that he said that man is prone to evil and slothful and good?
1: And then ask the question that I haven't heard before. Conscience.
0: Ooh. we have this thing called
1: conscience. Paul.
0: <laughs> Save me. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I struggle to, to talk for Paul. I, I, I do. I, I um, So many times he seems so far and beyond me that um, I feel simple and in his presence my my immediate sense is that i see him lining up a little more closely with augustine
1: yeah
0: yeah it's always listed as one of the the biggies yeah. Anyone have thoughts on that, Greg? I think when it belief on the cross was never baptized. Yeah. <laughs> and yet today you will be with me in, in paradise. Which is why the Quakers said you didn't even need water. And so they dry clean. <laughs> so they what? <laughs> Dry clean. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but
1: I think what, the, what then they did was so often
2: is that they tried to get so far away from the outward signs of baptism to, to make it an inward reality, which it really is, that I think they left an uh the
0: baby out with the bathwater, <laughs> And and I think the illusions today are just driving me nuts. Okay. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yes, we need Jesus to forgive that
2: sin. And should we try to take parts of these rituals of baptism? Absolutely. But it's not the
0: ritual yeah. that gets us to heaven. It's not the ritual that helps us. Or right. Our and, 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 that, and, in, and in that sense, Pelagius is 100% correct that... Um, It's, it's, it's living to imitate Christ that transforms us with the leadership of the Spirit. Um, of course, I always add that on as appendix, which tells you something about me. and I probably need to rethink. Yes.
1: what mm-hmm. saying. It's the whether either of these are right or not, our salvation doesn't Yeah.
0: Um, which, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap up here pretty quick because we have a baptism today. Um <laughs> Just dry clean, yeah. I'll tell the Coopers, I'm just going to do a dry cleaning today, if you don't mind. Um, (laughs) Greg, that one's just going to get stuck there. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, And now I forget what I was going to say. I can do it. Oh, can you? Yeah. All right. (laughs) You know,
2: Greg, I was waiting for you to step up, and maybe I'm way off. <laughs> really for like a really hard time. And I'm this with this stuff that I love to study theology. Yeah. Your question was, "Well, what about the devil? Where is it? Where, where, where does he come in on it?" Well, well maybe I have my believe. I didn't know what he was about. Yeah, but but the idea is 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 that's how the devil works by keeping us below getting to the real message. I think John's right on and Greg, you could
0: probably bring me up. I think you keep it up you had that form. But I'm trying to think of the exact quote. Do you know the exact quote there, Greg, from the book? It's brilliant.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. None of this is to diminish doctrine, and I and I don't want it. To, on the contrary, when you when you start to look at somebody who's different. Um, it almost highlights the importance of of doctrine because whether you like it or not, we start to form our lives around our doctrine. Whether we're conscious of it or not, can you come over and baptize my two children who are going to die? Presbyterians! We we form our lives around it. So in that sense, it's very important. It's important to understand what we believe in because what we believe informs how we act. Okay, just like I said, a little challenge. Um, I would like to think... That, especially coming off of sabbatical, that Christ Church is moving to the place where we are holding Pelagius to be accountable to doctrine, but are also coming to understand that he's absolutely right in his understanding that the transformation happens. Time and time again over time, as something within us is brought to light and continues to glow and and give off this light. That that, that Christ within us is growing. Um, I am diminishing. Christ is not. Christ is ascending in my own life. Um, So, with that, let's pray. And we'll go get ready to baptize. Mark, Mark Andrew, two biblical names there for us to contemplate. I would also encourage you to, because, because we, get, we get dry in liturgy, um, and I will try to remember to speak more slowly, but as we enter into the baptism liturgy, listen to the words. Be especially attentive and intentional. And listening to the words and what they say is pretty important. Let's pray. Gracious God, we move from one challenge now to the next, to a parable that confuses us and challenges us. We enter now into worship. Grant those of us who have always done, are already done so um, a sabbatical or a, a Sabbath rest this afternoon. Those of us that enter into the sanctuary now, blessed with a sense of your spirit that we may hear the challenge and grope with it as you call us to. Bless us now to your purposes in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in peace. Thank you all.